Episode 51, hard to believe we're already at 51. And uh, yesterday was awesome with Danny Briere. That's uh, that's an understatement. A lot of great feedback on Danny Briere uh, in that uh, that interview. So if you haven't heard it yet, go check it out. Good morning, River. Good morning. Big one today. I, I, ahead, I thoroughly enjoyed uh, the Danny Briere talk. It's uh, he's, he's a pretty captivating guy. I, I totally understand why people gravitated to him when, when he was here in Buffalo. Um, he is an incredible teammate. I know that he is a warrior type attitude. He is not, you know, he's not the big rough physical guy, but he is, he was so tenacious in the way that he played. He led by example. I mean, just talking to him after long after he's done his career, he's just, there's something about him. That's, that's special. He's a really, really good human being. Um, and was, he had an incredible career. He was a great teammate. I and mean, I'll tell uh, you the downloads that we're getting for that episode are, it's crazy. Yeah. And the feedback too, um, yeah. you know, because some of the, some of the stuff he said, a lot of people didn't know, you know what I mean? Like I didn't know that there were no talks leading up to July one. I had no idea. And, uh, there are a lot of people that have said that that's been a lot of the responses that, the, you know, number one, it still hurts, still hurts people to this day that, uh, you know, especially Sabre fans that, that, you know, they didn't even talk and, that he didn't come back. He and Drew both. And it sounded like they were a package deal and it could have all been avoided, but you know what? That's, that's life. And we live and learn. I don't think that the organization has really recovered, although they seem to be on the right path now. Um, and they seem to be on the right path because they acquired a guy like Alex Tuck. You know, they got Peyton Krebs and they're playing really well. You know, they got some other pieces playing well, but in order to get those players, they had to give up a lot. They gave up Jack Eichel who made his debut last night for the Vegas Golden Knights after almost a full calendar year um, of being off. Obviously, he had the disc replacement yeah. surgery and, and uh, a lot of injuries last year. He missed some time. and then, But, you know, I, I don't know how much of that game you watched, but I'll just say... Watched the whole thing. Did you? I thought yep. he looked really good. Rusty? But I thought he looked really good. I mean, all... I mean, you're, you're, you've got a great opinion. Uh, I completely disagree with you. I, I don't see where you're looking at anything that he did the entire night to say that he looked good. He's skating well. I'll tell you that. Okay. Isn't that enough after a year off to say that a guy's skating well? I mean, what did he have to do? I wasn't I don't know. Maybe, maybe the expectations for Jack, who is, uh, who is an elite player in this game that's over a point of game guy, scored 36 goals, and, and, he's, and he's still super young. I, I totally don't get me wrong. I am not going to sit here today and hate on Jack Eichel and say, ha ha, you know, you guys lost. You didn't get any points. I totally understand where he is at. He looked like he skated. Well, he actually looked like he skated very well. Um, but you could tell that uh, chemistry with, with his line mates and just, finding his position on that team and having the players that are on that team actually know how he plays his game, whether it's on a power play or anything, they looked sloppy. Um, Jack worked very hard. You could tell that he was engaged in the game. Um, do I, do I think he played well? I don't think he played like Jack Eichel. 
But well, like of course said, he didn't play like Jack Eichel. I wasn't expecting him to play like Jack Eichel and dominate the play like he did here in Buffalo. I mean, give the guy a break, man. I'm not even. I'm not even joking. Okay. Well, listen. That. I mean, if you if listen, I mean, uh, the, the expectations on a guy like this are extreme, and everybody is going to lend an eye to see how Jack Eichel deals with this surgery that has never been done on a, on an NHL player before. I know that he has been off for almost a full calendar year. He skated exceptionally well last night. That's all I was looking for were his legs. Okay. He'll find I looking, everything else. I was looking for something special. Oh my God. He's a special player. And I know it's been, it's been a you long played time. With so many, so, by the way, Jaina Hefford's going to join us uh, today. Uh, Canada women winning the, the gold medal last night. Um, against the U.S., one of the greatest rivalries in all of sports. So, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to talking with her and the future of women's hockey and everything like that. Um, but I think you're I think you're just a hard ass, and I mean that respectfully. And that's what I, one thing I love about you is that you don't, you don't sugarcoat anything, you know. But at the same time, I think, you know, sometimes you struggle with being a realist. <laughs> Define realist. <laughs> like like uh, looking for more out of Jack last night. I mean, you know, when I when I saw him playing last night, I thought, man, like he actually he was skating really, really well. I bet you I bet you a vast I'd love to see the ratings last night in the game. I'd love to know how many Buffalonians tuned in or Buffalo fans tuned in for that game. An insane amount of people. I would I would think an insane amount of people. You know, Jack was uh, was our franchise p- player. He was our franchise player. The 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 ownership and the management and the coaching staff led us to believe that Jack is going to be the guy that turns around the Buffalo Sabers, that t- points us in a direction that we are going to win a Stanley Cup under the 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 you know the toolage and work of of this hockey player. It's the furthest thing from the truth. Like literally the furthest thing from the truth. Six years Jack was here. They were in last place. How many times? Three out of the six. And the other ones were like, I mean, our highest pick was an eighth overall pick. And we actually dropped in the standings to get to the eighth. And the seventh. That's right. Yeah. The lottery kind of screwed us. They completely sucked under Jack. Yeah. And you know what? You ask yourself, you really do. You ask yourself and you sit there and you say, you know, they didn't put enough around Jack. They didn't support him with enough good players. And I think that's complete horseshit. I think they put Jack in a situation to be a leader on this team. And I think he's the farthest thing from it. Like, and I mean the farthest thing from a leader in this game today. And I'll tell you that to anybody out there. Anybody. I'm not saying he's not an elite player because I have said that for years. Do I like the way he plays the game all the time? No, I don't. But he has skill and he has the abilities that are unlike 95% of players in the world. He is a special player. But that is not. His leadership skills are completely horseshit. And he was the one that needs to galvanize the group. And I don't think that he knew how to do it. I like what I you're saying. That, 
That's that's all I'm gonna say. Like I like what you're I, saying because it's honest and it's real. And I but I think you know after talking with Danny yesterday, really after talking with Danny yesterday, I know his circumstances were different in Phoenix than they were in Buffalo. But I think I think that uh, I think players can develop into that and lose some of the other elements and aspects that might have held them back in that regard. And Jack I didn't need to be the leader of this team because he's not the leader of the team. He's the best player on the team, but he's nowhere near the leader. That's that's just my opinion. No, you're right. No, you're you're and I don't think there's anybody that would disagree with that. You know, I mean, giving him the C that early was a huge huge mistake and burden and it put him in a in a bad spotlight. You mentioned um, you know, picking 7th and 8th in the times that he was here a couple times and um one of those guys was Dylan Cousins that ended up being drafted uh when Jack Eichel was here. And he was fined two thousand dollars for a very dangerous play. Who was it? He cross checked again. I can't remember who he cross checked. Nelson. Nelson. Um, you know, I, I love the uh, I love the uh, willingness to to you know go and and be chippy and and you know you want to cross check a guy, cross check a guy. But that close to the boards, that's a dangerous play. It's nice to see. Nice to see that he's got a little bite there, though. You know, you look torn here. You look torn on this. No, one. there's no torn. I'm just going to try and choose my words wisely so, uh, you know, I don't get the call from the NHL or NHLPA. Why? Was it, because, you think it's bullshit that he got uh, fined? I'm going to tell you right now um, the Buffalo Sabres players have been, had their ass handed served to them for 10 years. Because we've had no toughness. We've had no guys that want to stick up for not only themselves, but for one another. And we're starting to. We are starting to see a team that believes in themselves, the environment and the group believe in each other. And it may not translate right now to some wins because they're, they're young, they're injured. Some of, their, some of their huge pieces are not quite here yet. And when I say that, we all know who they are. You know, an Owen Power, a, a Jack Quinn, a J.J. Paterka, all these players that are, that are going to be inserted into the lineup in shortcoming. I look at, I look at uh, you know, you know, Nelson took a, a shot at Dylan Cousins. And it's in Dylan Cousins' makeup not to take shit. Well, it happened earlier this year did. against the Rangers when Listen, someone, you know, the guy slew-footed him. I think it was at uh, Barclay Goudreau. Yes. Yep. Goudreau, right. you know, who's a physical player in his own right. End of the game, slew-foots Dylan Cousins. Dylan Cousins goes right at him. I mean, I, I love that. Yeah. I, I Listen, I mean, it. Uh, I, I don't necessarily like the idea of targeting a guy skating down the ice 50 feet and cross-checking a guy who's unsuspected and it's from behind. Near the boards. That being said, I like the intentions. I like the intent of not taking anyone's crap. And we have not seen players on this team for so long. We've been surrounded with so many players so many players for years and years and years that would not even think about doing that 
that's showing teams that you're not going to take their their liberties. And I and I I respect and like what Dylan Cousins did. I don't like the actual play, and he's gonna get fined for it. First time offense. But I like the intent of in his mind, I am not going to take your shit. Sidney Crosby, 500th goal. I sent out a tweet the other night saying, uh, you know, I think he's top five player all time. I mean, I put him a little higher than that. Uh, I obviously, I, I hated Sid when he, when I played in the league against him, but I I've grown to love and respect him so much. Um, the abuse that he's taken physically on the, on over the years. I mean, you know, I just, I think this guy is just. I don't understand how you can like, listen, I am, a, I'm a huge, you know, this, and we talk about Sid, the kid all the time. He is, a, he's a fantastic player. He was a, he was the, basically the face of the national hockey league for a number of years. He's had a lot of pressure on him. He's won three Stanley cups. He's done a lot of great things. If I were to ask you right now, where do you put him above or below Mark Messier? Uh, yeah, I'll answer for you. He's I know definitely you behind him. It's not even a consideration. Let me ask you another question. Do you put him above or below Yarmir Yager? I put him above. <sighs> put him above. I do. I don't even know what to say. Well, I don't even know what to say. You're what are you looking at points and all that? I mean, you know, I'm like talking dominating. And... I'm talking dominating. Well, didn't dominate. There were years he didn't oh, dominate. Are you shitting me? No, he I'm not. Dominate? He dominated. There were years he dominated. He was MVP. There were years that he led the league in scoring. Yes, he had dominating years. But he but Crosby. Crosby has missed significant time. I'd love to know what his numbers would be if he wasn't hurt as much as he was hurt with the concussions and other things that he's had going on. So I put him above Yager. I do. So Yager had almost 2,000 points, and he actually left the National Hockey League in his prime when he was winning scoring titles. He's won Stanley Cups. He, is, he, he was in his prime, and he left the league for, what, three, four years? I mean, Some, something like that. So, okay. All right. Beg to, I mean, we, I can go on and on. We can and agree on, to disagree. Here's what I will tell you. One of the top all-time greatest women's hockey players is Jaina Hefford. She is a four-time gold medalist, one-time silver medalist, hockey hall of famer, and she's going to join us next year. So hang on one sec. Next year? Next here. <laughs> next oh, okay. here. Next here. Say. Sounds good. All right, joining us now is I just I just gave you a nice little quick introduction, but I'll I'll reintroduce you to all of our listeners because we have millions, Jana. Four-time gold medalist, silver medalist, uh, hockey hall of famer. I don't know how many women's world championships you've won, but a lot. How many? Eight. Uh, we won seven. Seven. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Know. I was off. I was off by one. Uh, Hockey Hall of Famer. I mentioned that, and I think, if I'm not mistaken, 
one of two and only two women to score more than 200 international goals? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So it'd be you and obviously Haley Wickenheiser. That's right. Nice little uh, resume wow. there. Wow. How are you feeling today? Did you make it through the whole game? I did. I did. Yeah. Um, yeah. A little tired today, but obviously it's a, uh, it's a day you wait for in women's hockey for four years and uh, exciting and, you know, happy for the Canadian girls for sure. So what uh, did you, have you spoken to any of them? Were you able to message with any of them uh, since, since the game ended? I haven't yet. I'm sort of let them settle a bit and, and enjoy it. But uh, I, I hope to speak to a few of them. I did speak to Cassie Campbell a little bit, who uh, has been a bit of a mentor coach for them throughout the year and excited for her, I, you know, understanding how much work they've put into to these last four years. Well, how, how much? That, how does that just, feel I need to you. ask this question before okay, you go, go on, because you're going to ask a serious question. Uh, how much booze is flowing in the locker room after that win? I don't know what's going on in Beijing. That's the only thing. I mean, typically there'd be a lot, but uh, I, I don't know if they have them locked down there or not. Go ahead, Craig. No, I was just, you know, as, as someone that's played so long, that has won so much, you have won golds and also silver. And when you're watching this game, how, how are you? Are you watching every single every single play, things that these girls could have done better? You know, how are you watching this? How are you internalizing this when you when you watch these games? I try to watch more as a fan and just, you know, take it all in. I, I know so many of the women quite well on both teams. And um, you know, you know what they've been through. And it's been a it's been a rough go for all of them for the last few years with cancellations and COVID and various other things that the women's game has faced. And um, so, you know, just excited for them to be in that moment. And and you see the ups and downs on both sides of the ice. And it's just, uh, I, I just take it all in and, and look at it as a win for women's hockey when we see, uh, you know, performance like that. It's arguably one of the greatest rivalries in sports. I mean, not women's sports, in all of sports. And because over the years, all the Olympics and the finals that we've seen, the hatred is real, is it not? It is. It's intense. It's intense. So, but it looks to me, and I know that, I know the U.S. came back, it was 3 nothing, and they ended up making it 3-2. But it looks to me like, you know, the gap is getting a little bigger between Canada and the U.S. Would you say that's fair? And I mean, I, I'm not looking for you to be critical of the U.S. women, but it just seems like even in the preliminary round, and, you know, I know they won four years ago, the U.S. did, but it seems like, and maybe it was COVID and all that too, but it just seems like maybe Canada is even taking a step further in their game than every other country. Yeah, I mean, I think as you guys know, when you get into a flow as, as an athlete in a group, and um, it was clear that Canada, you know, was on this mission, they were feeling so confident. I think they really bought into what the program had done for them over the last couple of years. And, um, you know, winning the world championships was huge in August. They hadn't won in, you know, eight years, 10 years at the world championships. So then they get that win. And then it's just sort of validation that what they're doing is, is working. And they just continue to build on that. I, I can say with a lot of confidence that hockey Canada prepares their athletes better than any other country in the world. Uh, they put every single resource into that program that they could. They don't cut corners. They make sure these women are prepared. Um, I haven't been in the U.S. program as deeply, so I can't say what they do there. But I just think Canada found a way. They they found a new identity. 
their leaders, you know, found a way to, to bring the group together. And, um, you know, over the course of my time, we had a, a lull a little bit too, and we lost some leadership and you got to figure out what the, that new group is going to be about. And it took them some time, but uh, the evolution, I think of Marie-Philippe Poulin as a leader and Brianne Jenner and Sarah Nurse and some of those women, they just, you know, they did the hard work to get to a place where they built a culture um, and a trust and a confidence within that group that, um, you know, everybody's saying might be the best team that we've ever seen from Canada and the way they they dominated the tournament. Um, you know, I, I haven't seen them play better. So how do you, you know, feel about that best team they've ever had? I mean, come on, you were on some pretty dominant teams. Yeah, we were. But, you know, as the game evolves, I, I mean, our game, the women's game gets better every single year and certainly every four years. So when I look at, you know, I even just see the speed, the, the, the strength, the way the women are shooting the puck and um, the game just keeps getting better. So um, I'm OK with saying that's the best team ever. I mean, Mary Fluke. Philippe Poulin has proved to be the greatest player that's ever played the women's game there. I don't think anyone could argue that at this point. So, um, you know, just exciting to see where the game's going and, you know, it's not done yet. It's, it's still growing and it's still getting so much better. So I, I coach youth hockey here in Buffalo and a lot of the times, you know, we're traveling, uh, you know, up in Ontario and around the United States and I coach uh, this year, I'm coaching a U13 team. And I see girls that are playing the highest level of AAA hockey in North America, and they're on these teams, and they're continuing to amaze that they can play at such a high level. They're so strong. The puck movement are these. I always, I always think to myself when I see, you know, there's a couple girls on these teams. Um, I, I always think to myself are these the girls that we're going to see in the Olympics someday? Because they're fantastic hockey players and they're strong and the way that they can think the game and shoot the puck. It's, it's truly incredible how far every year evolving the, the women's hockey game. I, I, I think it's just incredible what, what's going on right now. Yeah. And, you know, those stories aren't unusual anymore. You know, when yeah. I grew up, it was like you'd see the one girl over the course of a season on some team. And now, you know, to your point, we're seeing that all over the place. And and then you've got the, the girls that are in the women's game that maybe don't stick out as much because they are playing with the other girls. But um, they're just that I, I mean, these these girls grow up now seeing an opportunity for themselves. And, you know, ultimately, we're trying to create more opportunities. but uh, it's not unusual anymore. You go into a rink on a weekend and it's it's a 50-50 split, whether you're looking at a girls team or a boys team. It's it's not unusual to see that. And, and that just shows the, the growth of the game. And when you actually dive into the registration numbers of, of girls hockey, it's still increasing. I think Canada is increasing at a rate of 17%. Um, in the U.S., I believe it's around 10% growth rate. And uh, boys hockey on both sides of the border is actually declining. Um, so, it's uh, it's a rapidly growing sport, and it's exciting to see where the game's going to go. Is it safe to assume, and I because I don't know this, I've known you for a long time, but is it is it safe to assume that you played on boys teams growing up? I played on boys teams for three years before I switched over to girls. So, so what ages were you playing in, on the boys teams? Novice, uh, pretty much novice, I guess. Adam All Star, and then switched over. Did you dominate? Were you crushing guys' dreams out there? Just. <laughs> We, uh, we had a good team. I played with, uh, I played against Alan McCauley uh, and then played with John Tripp. Um, so a couple guys that went on to play 
pro hockey, but uh, yeah, we, we did well. Uh-huh. I know both of those guys turned out to be awesome hockey players. John Tripp, I mean, I, he played in Oshawa. He was there before me, but Al McCauley, I mean, Ottawa Senators, and, you know, he played for Toronto, San Jose. River. Did you ever cross paths with him in San Jose? He weren't in San Jose. I either, didn't, no. 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 Um, you know, Jana, one of the things that I, uh, I noticed on social media this week, um, you know, you talk about, you know, the rivalry and the hatred between Canada and the U.S., but, I mean, you got a, you got a little – uh, fiery uh, toward some criticism um, that women's hockey does not be- belong in the Olympics. And can you you want to you want to talk about that and just uh, elaborate on on what exactly happened? And and obviously we both agree with you, but why do you feel so strongly? And where is the growth of women's hockey worldwide? Yeah. So when the article came out that suggested women's hockey shouldn't be an Olympic sport because there was only two teams ultimately was what was said. And, um, you know, for many of us who continue to try to grow the sport, you know, that you have to invest in it and you have to create more and more opportunities. And by pulling a sport out of the Olympics, that certainly doesn't help the growth and development. Uh, women's hockey is one of the most popular events at the Olympic games. You know, I've, I've been to multiple ones. They're, they're always the event that's sold out. We see incredible viewership ratings. Um, and yes, there's disparity. Um, but that comes down to the investment that's made in the sport. And many federations are not making much of an investment in their women. When we talk about Canada and the U S they spend the entire year together training, uh, you know, the, the resources that's, that are put into those programs is incredible. And, um, you know, so they should be dominating. Are the other countries getting better? Absolutely. But to the point earlier, so are our women and so are the U S women. So the gap isn't closing as quickly as, as people want. So, you know, I think when that article came out, it just, you know, it, it, it didn't feel right to many of us that are continuing to grow this game. And for someone who loves hockey, you know, I, I love watching the NHL. I, I played, obviously my kids play. I want hockey to, to be healthy and evolve and continue to grow at every single level, not just the women's game and men's game too. And I, I firmly believe that bringing women into the game, um, helping them see a future for themselves in the game is going to make our sport better. Uh, we have a lot of work to do in, uh, you know, a lot of different areas, especially as it relates to inclusivity and, and um, BIPOC communities and women. And at the end of the day, I, I want our sport to, to continue to grow. And, and we're a big part of that. And it may be for women as a player. It may be as a coach and official. It may just be as a fan. Uh, but we need to bring women into the hockey family in a bigger way. So, um, you know, it, it didn't feel right to say that it should just not be in the Olympics. Um, so uh, a former team of mine, Ali Fox, uh, one of my smartest friends, um, we said, you I know, read her bio. Unbel- uh, what a bio she has, huh? Yeah. Yeah. So she, uh, we decided to, to write this, this op-ed and uh, you know, it's just, you look at various other Olympic sports and, and there's a lot in there where, you know, the U S basketball team dominates and they're called the dream team. And we all, you know, adore them and and it's a legend and it's a dynasty and but when you have that in a women's sport it becomes a disparity and it's it's not right and they just shouldn't play anymore um so it you know it just we felt we felt the need to speak up and stand up for the women's hockey community and uh the work we're doing with the pwhpa uh we know that the best way to grow the game globally will be to establish a top-tier professional women's league 
And when that happens, you're going to get women from around the world that want to be a part of this league, that see a professional future for themselves. The best players in the world will come play in it, and they'll bring that back to their own countries, much like we see um, you know, in the NHL. So we're doing so much work to grow the game, and, and taking it out of the Olympics isn't the answer. And we felt like it was you know, completely unfair and disrespectful to the women who are so amazing at what they do and to suggest they're too good. And because they're too good, they shouldn't have the opportunity to be in the Olympics. Just doesn't, doesn't make sense. Doesn't make any sense at all. I have have a question for you. You know, Haley Wickenheiser is working with the Toronto Maple Leafs. I think Cami Granato was just hired as the assistant GM in Vancouver. And, you know, more women getting involved in the National Hockey League, whether it's through development, whether it's through management. Do you have any aspirations of of joining and doing something along those lines? Yeah, I mean, I have aspirations to stay in the game. And, you know, some of those opportunities that, you know, I've I've discussed with folks, they're intriguing. You know, it, the opportunity to work in the game and be in an environment where you work with the best of the best, that's that's definitely an intriguing opportunity. Um, what I'm in the midst of right now is so influential and impactful and transformational. And um, it's just, it's, you know, I'm excited for where we're going here and what we're trying to create. Um, but, you know, those opportunities are exciting as well. So, you know, I, I have a feeling I'll stay in the game in some capacity and, and you know, maybe in the NHL, maybe on the women's side, but um, I, I want to continue to have an impact on the game in whatever way I can. So excited to see that the NHL is, is bringing more women in. I think those, those clubs that do that are, are going to see the, the value very quickly in having that diversity of, of thought and, and, you know, strategy as they work through building championship teams. So well, uh, you're, excited to see how it plays out. You're pioneering right now. I mean, I, I feel like you're a pioneer for, you know, the 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 women's hockey league that will hopefully someday you know very soon come to fruition i just want to go back to one thing before we move on to that because i want to ask about nhl involvement um and how what are they doing to help you know the pwhpa and yourself and and women's hockey grow uh whether it's financially or other support that they're they're providing but which countries you know, I mean, and, and by the way, awesome comparison uh, to basketball. I mean, you know, with the domination and everything like that, uh, you know, it's it's amazing what you said and how you said it because it's so accurate, right? Um, but which countries, in your opinion, aside from U.S. and Canada, of course, do you feel has, if whether there's one or two, maybe three, you know, has made the the most significant growth in, I mean, well, you five Olympics, that's 20 years, Dana. So six, that's 24 years now. So in the last 24, 25 years since, uh, you know, women's hockey exploded in 98 at, at the Olympics. Well, I think Finland's been one that's always been there and, you know, arguably may have won the 2019 world championship, which was, um, you know, that was, that was awesome for the game. I think to show the performance they put on beating Canada and, you know, controversially losing to the U S but they've always been there. And I think the commitment they've made to the women's game has been important. Um, I see Switzerland and and the Czechs that have the, the Czechs actually probably most recently have been the team that's jumped the most, I think, in, in where they stand in the game. Um, and then uh, Japan has done a, a really good job as well. 
Um, but, you know, none of them, I don't think, put the resources in that, that we do in North America. So hopefully it'll continue. I, you know, I think the Finns obviously are the, the closest uh, to Canada and the U.S., but hopefully those other countries will continue to invest in it. Where does so, Sweden fit in? You know, Sweden, they were really good for a long time, the early yeah. part of my career, and obviously silver medal in Torino and Italy, um, a couple of years in semifinals, you know, it was like overtime wins against them to get into the finals. And then they fell off the map a little bit. And uh, a couple of years ago, they they boycotted um, for better support from their federation. And I believe eventually got it, uh, but it, it went to show that just the, the program wasn't being invested in. And as these other countries continued to grow and invest further and they didn't, they really fell off the map and actually got relegated. And so came back into this Olympic Games. So we'll see where they go from here. But as a proud hockey nation, you know, that seems to me a country that really needs to, to put some investment in their women. Yep. So wh- let's, let's go, come to the present now. Where, where is, um, you know, women's hockey? Where does it stand in your opinion? How close are we to having like a, uh, a, a league that is supported or maybe standing on its own from the NHL, but how, how close, I know there are leagues. I know there have been leagues, but I, I don't think it's quite the league that you're talking about. And so where, where are you in that right now? Yeah. So the, the league that the PWHPA, our vision and, and really has been the reason that the top players in the world came together and, and said they weren't going to play in any league was it's a league that allows them to be full-time hockey players. It provides them a respectable wage. We're not talking millions of dollars. We're talking about something yet, that allows them yet, to be a hockey player. Yet. Um, you know, health benefits and insurance, um, professional infrastructure, that's facilities. It's, you know, the, uh, marketing, promotional, ticketing support, full-time staffs. Um, you know, up until now, any league that's existed has been about, well, you live in Toronto, so I guess you're going to play in Toronto because you don't make enough money to move anywhere else and you probably have to stay in your job. And, you know, so those playing at nine o'clock at night in a community rink, cause that's the only time you can practice. Like that's not our vision of a pro league. Our vision is a pro league where the women show up at their arena every day. They're drafted to a city that wants them, that thinks they can help win a championship. They train every single day. They have staff around them. They provide an, an environment an athlete experience um, that we would expect of any professional sport. Um, they're in buildings where broadcast is, is great lighting is good um you know travel is at a certain level you know i I don't need to tell you guys you guys know what this is but this has never existed and it doesn't exist in women's hockey so what we're trying to create is is not we're not emulating anything that's ever existed it's something different um we've been working incredibly hard over the last really two and a half years but it's it's really kind of ramped up some some momentum in the last year and we've got a lot of really great people that are doing some incredible work um, to try to make that vision a reality. I think we're closer than we've ever been. Um, we're very clear on, on what needs to be and what's a non-negotiable for these women, um, what they deserve and, and what's out there. Uh, the market demand is out there. There's a huge opportunity in women's sport. And it's, you know, we've moved past. It's not about the right thing to do. It's, it's, there's a business opportunity here. You can monetize women's sport. When you look at, you know, the announcement the WNBA last, last week, $75 million investment, yeah. uh, the NWSL is making huge strides. The time is now. And, uh, you know, I, I'm excited for the next number of months and, you know, to see 
see what comes, but we're, we're working every day to try to make that vision become reality. Is the Craig, I know we might be asking the same question here, but no, go ahead. Is the NHL helping? So, you know, the NHL has been supportive of the women's game and um, you know, I, I think they, they at this point haven't decided, you know, where they want to stand on it, but they're supportive of the women's game. I think they understand that, you know, it's, it's part of this ecosystem. We with the PWHPA have had a lot of success working with NHL clubs. Um, and that's been key for us because when we work with an NHL club, all of a sudden those things I talked about, the infrastructure that's built in, now we know that we're going to bring our athletes into an environment and a professional experience Right? And they're going to play in a good building and they're going to have what they need when they get, get into the dressing room and get on the ice. And we're going to be able to broadcast out of one of those buildings. And, um, you know, so the support from the clubs has been great. And I think, you know, everyone's looking for, you know, what's what's the model and what's what's the business plan. And those are all things that that we're, you know, refining right now. And, and you know, how can they be more involved? But from a club perspective, it's it's been really great to see the NHL clubs get on board with what we're trying to do. Why can't they just like stroke you a check? And I mean, $5 billion. It's not that hard. It's not that hard. It really, it really isn't that hard. I mean, like, because what, what is it, what is it going to take to start Jane? It's going to take money, right? That's basically what it comes down to and, and support from, you know, other NHL teams. Like how many teams are you, are in your perfect world? of a women's hockey league, how many teams to start do you think it's going to take uh, to make it competitive and, you know, exciting and entertaining? How many teams do you envision in your mind uh, being in a league to start? I, I envision six. I think you got to keep the talent, uh, you know, the depth pool, you got to keep that really high. We don't want to expand too quickly. You know, we've, we've talked to lots of different leagues and, and startups um, and you want to, you know, make sure you don't make the mistakes others have made. So I think the idea of keeping it really tight, really small talent pool high, um, you know, similar to an original six uh, sort of storyline to start. And then you see where the game goes, but um, you know, expanding too quickly is, is certainly not something we would look to do. We'd look to make sure that we're really strong. The foundation is there. Um you know, we, we know we got to do this right. And, uh, it's as much as we all want to do it tomorrow. Um, you know, it's the patience has been really challenging in all of this, but, you know, we keep reminding ourselves that we got to do it right. We've got to build the foundation strong and ensure that this is going to be, you know, the last league that starts because, uh, there's been too many, too many failures to date. And, um, you know, we're going to do it right. Awesome. I well, I can tell you this. Um, I have someone that's going to be uh, in your league in the future. Um, my, my oldest son, Nate, uh, is dating a, a young lady from our, from our hometown of North Bay. She right now is uh, playing in the OWHL in Cambridge. It's the a U-22 league, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Um, and uh, she is a player. She is a heck of a hockey player. She's a D1 committed to, to St. Lawrence University. And, uh, you know, I mean, watching her, she actually just came to our home uh, last weekend. And the funny thing is you would think that, uh, you, you know, you take a little bit of break away from the game of hockey, but nope. 
They're out on the outdoor rink, you know, an 18 year old and a 17 year old are sitting there dangling in the backyard. It, it I Craig mean, FaceTime me. It he's literally like, gives me he's chills. Like, you got to think watch, about it. You got to watch her. Watch how unbelievable she is. Absolutely <laughs> insane. Like, I'm going to tell you this. I awesome. never in a million years had uh, the skill level and the stick handling of this young lady. And her, her name is Mave O'Hagan. But, oh, my Lord, can she can she dangle? And, uh, you know, she's quite the player uh, from what I hear. And you know what? She's going to be in that league. Uh, so you just keep working on that. And uh, awesome. I'll, I'm going to funnel uh, some women uh, to that league. All right. Sounds She'll good. I'll your- remember the name. She'll be your uh, Sidney Crosby. That's right. Hey, so I, I know how passionate you are about growing women's hockey, but I want to talk about you now. Okay. Mm. Favorite Olympics that you, you took part in favorite moment. Um, we'll start with that. <laughs> That's a tough one. Um, favorite Olympics was probably Vancouver. Um, you know, the, the city was electric given it was in Vancouver. I had the opportunity to have gosh, probably 25 friends and family out there watching it and knowing how great a time they had there, uh, taking it all in and, uh, being able to share that with all of them was, was pretty cool. Um, favorite Olympic moment, probably my first Olympic gold medal in Salt Lake city. I mean, that's, uh, it's tough to beat the first one. And obviously a big, the, the storyline that went with that, you know, being sort of underdog Cinderella story, hadn't beaten the Americans all year, losing in 98, um, the first Olympic medal for Canada. So it was just, uh, that one kind of came together perfectly. Is that the one where you scored the winner or was that 06? Oh, six was. Oh, two. Oh, two. Oh, two. I scored the winner. Yeah. What was, what was the silver medal? Was that Oh, six. Nagano in 98. Oh, it was 98. Okay. That's right. Right, right, right. Okay. Um, what was, talk about training, like your, your training camps, how with, with no leagues really, or or places to play. I mean, I think there was university hockey and stuff going on, uh, when you were, when you were coming up through, you know, with the Olympic team and stuff, but I remember you, you coming to Ridley college and speaking and talking about the training camps Mm -hmm. and can you, can you just, talk a little bit about you know how long they were uh, i can't remember where you where you girls went but i know you went away somewhere as a group and trained for like 30 days somewhere yeah. where what was what was training camp like yeah so we after lo- losing in 98 moving forward to 2002 we started what we would call boot camp and uh, in the summer before the olympics we would spend four to six weeks together. It's sort of, you know, in 2002 it was on the four week and then it would sort of get harder and longer. And um, so we spent some time in Dawson Creek. We spent some time in um, Prince Edward Island. So they would always take us somewhere sort of remote and it would be, you know, four to six weeks of crazy intense, grueling, you know, eight, 10 hour training days. Um, but also, it, you know, again, as you guys know, it's sort of like the mental, the mental challenge that goes along with that when you, you don't really feel you can keep going and, but you've got, you know, you got teammates around you that push you. And really it was always about the volume of training and the physical challenge to get through it. Um, so those were definitely the, the hardest training parts of my career. And then in August, you moved to Calgary and then we'd be full-time together as a team. We're well, trying to make the team because you'd start with 27, 28, 29 women and you'd have to cut down to 21 over the course of those sort of eight months before the games. And, um, and then, you know, that didn't get any easier, pretty, pretty intense schedule there. Lots of games we'd play, you know, 
all over Alberta, midget AAA boys, junior A boys, wherever we could find games, we'd play them. And then in addition to international games and competitions and, um, but that, that, that was our opportunity to be full-time athletes, you know, and those are the things we want to be able to do on a consistent basis rather than an every four year basis. But, you know, the training that goes into these moments and, you know, as fans, you see the, the glorious gold medal game on, on television, but when you know the story and you know what these women have gone through and sacrificed and not just hockey players, any Olympians, it's a, it's a long road and it's a, it's an intense time that leads up to, you know, one moment, um, one night, you know, maybe a few seconds for some athletes. I, we know you have to go cause you're probably loaded with interviews today. Right. So <laughs> wasn't there something, did you, was there something in, why does, why does Newfoundland ring a bell? Yeah, we, we spent some time down there as well. And, Again, it's, it's often like doing like, like runs and, and trail runs and stuff for like like hours at a time. Yeah. We did long bike rides, um, down on the East coast I you know, one day I think it was like an eight hour bike ride and you know, we're, we're hockey players, we're athletes, but we're not bikers. Uh, we, we did other, you know, mountain rides and stuff like that. And so those, those are the moments that test you and they, they push you and, uh, again, mentally, sometimes it's just about getting through it and getting through it together. And um, each boot camp got a little bit harder, but we kept winning gold medals. So it was like, well, you got to push them further the next time. Right. So, um, you know, the, the training now is just it's it's so, so is the train is the training all year around, you know, in order to in order to make sure that you're not going to get injured. Mm-hmm. You have to train before you go to these camps and make oh, yeah. sure that you're at in, in elite shape. How is the training programs? Was there a, a, a one size fit all for all the, the women that were potentially going to be at these camps? They had a training program. Yeah. Early in my career was more of the, the one, one program fits all, but it certainly evolved over time. And, and by the end of my career, it was a little more customized to the athlete. And I'm yeah, sure it's called getting it old. Now. That's yeah. what we call that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. When, when you re- retired from hockey, Um, you know, you know, Craig and I asked this to, to all, all the the men that come on and I can't imagine it's any different for the women, you know, and everyone's different with how they handle walking away from the game. I mean, I went through a, you know, a very hard time emotionally for many different reasons after hockey. Um, I, you know, I don't want to speak for Craig, but I know what he went through. What was retiring for you like, because it was such a huge part of your life for so long, the structure, the balance, the drive, the goals, and I don't mean goals, pucks in the net. I mean, like goals to win. You know, what was that like for you? You know, was there, was there, a, a, was there a, an emotional lull that you went through? Mm-hmm. You know what? It, it, yes. I mean, it, it's hard, right? We, your entire focus is around one thing and your identity is around being an athlete, being a hockey player. You know, I, I think in the sense that everyone's story is different. I had an opportunity to retire on my terms. Um, and I always think that's helpful. A lot of, you know, especially us, uh, you know, sometimes you just don't make a team and then that's, that's it. It's over. Um, so for me, I knew 2014 was going to be my last games. I was able to say, you know, I'm done. I've had this 17 year career. Um, I had already started to try to think a little bit what I wanted to do. And I think that's important for athletes too. I try to you know, get outside of sport a little bit in your last few years, you know, find some other interests. And then, you know, shortly after that had a couple kids and as you know, priorities change pretty quickly when you have kids. And 
um, but never lost the passion for the game. And now in doing what I'm doing um, with the PWHPA and leading that, it's, you know, I feel like I have my hockey fix and I, I get to work with the best players in the world. There's a competitiveness to this. We're trying to accomplish something that's never been done. The challenge is there in front of us. And um, so, you know, transition for me, I think was, was fairly smooth, but it's, it's not easy. You know, it's, uh, it's brutal. Yeah. It's you brutal. Play the game. Last thing I'll, I'll, I'll say before I describe to Craig what the Hefford special is. Um, the call from the Hall of Fame. Talk yeah. about that. Yeah, that was uh, obviously a special moment. And, um, you know, you, obviously you can't avoid knowing that you're eligible because, you know, it's all over social media and you got people telling you like, hey, did you did you hear this? So, you know, you're eligible, you know, when they're making the decisions. And well, you're so humble, but come on, you got to have said, like, obviously I'm going and I'm Jana Heffer. Look at my stats. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you, you hope so, but there's no guarantees, obviously. And um, so, yeah, you know, I remember that day just sort of trying to not think about it. And, you know, you turn the TV on, it's on the ticker that they're making the announcement today and these people are eligible. So it's hard to avoid, but, um, you know, I, you get the call and it was, it was amazing. It was more emotional than I thought, you know, even though, you know, I hoped it would happen and I knew it was possible, but it just sort of, um, it's almost things you dream about, right? You dream about winning and all of that, but you don't really dream about the hall of fame and then it happens. And it just, uh, you know, it hit me that it's pretty cool. It's, uh, you know, it allows you to look back on your career and the people that, that helped you. And it's just, uh, it's a culmination of all of those, those people along the way. Your hall of fame speech was incredible. I'll never forget it. You, you know, you, you, you stole the stage that night. Um, but going to the Hefford special, because I, I know you got a good... Craig, do you know what the Hefford special is? I don't, but I'm waiting for it. Oh, I don't know if I do either. Wrap around, come from behind the net, short side shelf. <laughs> That's her go-to move. Am I wrong? No, you know what? I, I shoot better on my backhand than I ever did on my forehand. So that was that was my default, was going to the backhand. That's that's right. what I remember. I remember you, you saying that uh, you love that move. And the last one is... You should see her hit a golf ball, Craig. Monster off the tee. Monster <laughs> off the tee. You still playing golf, Jaina? I haven't played much lately, but let's let's do it. Let's get out sometime. Uh, I, you know, I've given up the game. I despise the game of golf. Um, I can't stand Last time I played with Andrew, he wore barefoot. <laughs> so I was like, we're done. I, I can't stand the white belts. That's that's what it comes down. That's what it comes down to for me. Jaina, uh, we know you have to go. Um, all class, your leadership is, is glowing with what you're doing with the PWHPA and yeah. the growth of women's hockey. And we wish you all the best and you have our support. So thank you so much for yeah. your time and, and, uh, you know, best of luck to you. Yeah. Thanks. Appreciate it guys. And yeah, let's do it again. Yeah. I look thank forward to it. Much. We have to do it again for sure. Thanks a lot, Jana. Thanks guys. That's a wrap on another episode of after the whistle. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter after the whistle. And at Craig Reve 52 at the instigator 76. And you can find us as you already know on Apple, Spotify and YouTube and anywhere else where you can get your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to spread the word.